Thank you, Davey. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it up to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, we're going to be in uh, chapter 8, and you will find that on page 581 if you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your seat there. Um, again, as always, if you do not have a Bible, we'd, we'd love it if you took that Bible with you uh, and put it to good use. And so uh, we are in John uh, chapter 8 tonight, and we're going through a series on the promises of God. And uh, tonight I want us to talk about freedom and God's promise to us, if you're a Christian, to set you free. That God promises to set us free. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? I would assume your response to that question would be, oh yeah, heck yes, right? I mean, seriously, who doesn't want to be free? We live in the United States of America, if you, if you forgot that, right? Like, our country is all about freedom, is it not? I mean, just think of our history and, and why people originally came here to this land. You know, they were longing for a, a new land, a new place, or religious freedom, or different things like that. I mean, we, we're Oregonians, right? If you're in this room, you live in a, a state called Oregon, which was established for people heading west on the Oregon Trail, longing for that independence to find their stake in some land or, you know, whatever it is. They're looking for something. They were looking for some form of freedom, right? We, we love freedom. We want freedom. I mean, just think about the word freedom. It's a pretty cool word, isn't it? It just rolls off your tongue, like off the lips. It's a nice word. No one's ever said the word freedom and someone been like, I don't know about that, right? We like freedom. We love freedom. We, we want it, right? The, the awesomeness even of the great movie Braveheart, okay? Movies like Braveheart and, and you know, if you've never seen it, like this when Mel Gibson was a, a good actor still, right? He, he came to us in all of its glory, this wonderful movie Braveheart based on that premise of freedom, we love it. We, we, we want it, and we actually want even more of it. And, and, so, and so in many ways, it's really incredible to hear that Jesus in the gospel account of John, he promises us freedom. I mean, hopefully internally there's some form of like, yay, like whoopee, you know, kind of like excitement within you. But what, is, what does that really mean, right? Like, does it mean maybe even what we think it means? And so tonight our passage tells us if you're a note taker or you just, you're an engineer and you're like, where are we going? Okay, this will be on the screen for you to navigate you. Um, but I, I want us to see tonight in our passage that it really shows us our need to redefine what freedom is. Our passage shows us the enemy of freedom. It shows us the promise of freedom. And finally, the battle for freedom, the battle for freedom. Uh, so first, our need to redefine freedom. If you look in verse 31 of John chapter 8, uh, I'm going to read there. It says in verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so, th so there's people here in this story. I know we just landed in this story, but there's people in this account that are following Jesus, and they're believing that Jesus looks like he's the Messiah, 
He's the one that God has been promising all along to send to kind of like restore Israel to its glory days is what they're imagining, right? And so they were following Jesus as Messiah and they're believing his words, they're believing his actions that he was performing. And so we are told that Jesus says to these people, to these Jewish people who believed in him, that they need to abide in his word. And in so doing, they truly are proving by doing that, showing that they are his disciples. You know, there's a couple of really important words right in that, that those verses that we have to talk about just here for a second so that we're all on the same page. One, Jesus is calling you to abide in his words, okay? which abide, again, is not a word you might use very much, but it's a beautiful word. It's one of my favorites. I really love this word. But this word abide means remain. It means remain, or to kind of put it in a picture for you, uh, this, this word abide kind of is communicating to you and me to sort of make our home in God's words, in Jesus' words. It's to, to abide is to make your home in something. It's, it's, a, it's a place that you land. It's a place that you live and you sort of put your feet up and you rest, so to speak. That's what the word abide is really getting at. And so Jesus says, if you abide in, in my words, right, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But he says, you will prove to be my disciple. Which a disciple is someone who is just a learner of Jesus. That's what that means, simply. This means to be a learner of Jesus, to sit at his feet, so to speak, and to want to submit to Jesus' wisdom and his ways. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so if you do this, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so notice, do you notice that Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you will get free only by holding to my teaching. He says, you will be freed by holding to my teaching. So Jesus is saying, you will only be free if you accept my constraints. Do you see that? You will only be free if you accept my constraints. My constraints in, in how I'm saying you should what you should believe, you know, how you should Live. We're talking about belief and behavior. See, Jesus is saying, you will find freedom if you accept my constraints. Let's just be honest, right? This is not the modern definition of freedom, is it? And the modern definition of freedom has been really well put to us um, by a guy uh, named Isaiah Berlin. Okay? He was a professor of political philosophy at Oxford in the mid-20th century. So way before your time, right? Most of us in this room, okay? And so this guy, Isaiah Berlin, he wrote a really famous essay on freedom once, okay? And he said the Western idea of freedom is dominated by this um, idea that he called absolute negative freedom. He says that's what our concept of freedom is in the West. It's absolute negative freedom. What he means by that is negative freedom is the idea of having freedom from something, that's the idea of negative freedom. Okay, it's not bad. But he says absolute negative freedom is defining freedom like this. It's saying, I am free to the degree in life that I have no limitations. I am a free person if no one interferes with my life. I am free if there's no constraints on my ability of what I can choose to do and what I can choose to believe. If I can choose anything that I want, then by definition, I'm free. If there's any restraint, then I'm not free. 
This sound familiar, right? This is, this is our view in the West. This is our view of freedom in our culture. And Isaiah Berlin, this, this guy in the 20th century said, that's way too simplistic of a definition. That's not even a workable definition. And Jesus would agree with him. Or more, probably accurately put, Isaiah would agree with Jesus here. Because just think about this. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. So think about this, just to illustrate this point, what Isaiah is saying. It's too simplistic. Just I want you to imagine there being an older, an older gentleman that you know, right? There's an older gentleman that you know, and his entire life he has chosen to eat a certain way. There's certain foods that he just really enjoys. They're like his daily comfort in his life. And so every single day he eats these certain foods because it's like what brings him happiness and joy and comfort, all right? So one day his doctor goes to him and says, hey, uh, sir, uh, I just need to tell you that if you continue to eat these things, I don't know what these things are, I didn't want to offend anybody if it's your favorite meal, okay? But if you continue to eat these things that are not good for you, you're going to end up in a bed and you're going to lose all of your health and you eventually will die way, way more prematurely than you really probably would normally. So all of a sudden you would see a man like this has this sort of um, conflict. He's been free his entire life to choose whatever he wants to eat, right? He can eat these things in these certain ways, right? He can, he can do that, but it's going to be now at the expense of another choice that he wishes he could make, right? His desires are contradicting each other. He, he wants the joy of those foods, but he also wants to live a lot longer in his life. So think about it. Freedom, in his case, is deciding which desire that he's going to ditch, and which desire in his life he's going to promote. So if he ditches the food in order to promote longer life, I mean, that, that's a decision he has to make. Or he has to ditch the idea of, of a longer life in order to promote the idea of eating the foods that he wants. Okay? This also reminds me of, um, sorry, this is like 90s movie night, I just realized probably. But uh, one of my top five favorite movies of all time is the movie Tombstone. Okay? I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's fantastic. Okay? Um, but in this movie, uh, there's a character named Doc Holliday, who I understand is historical, so that's pretty great. And um, this guy, Doc Holliday, played by Val Kilmer, is this, like, fastest gunman in the West or whatever, okay? But he also lives a life that's not really conducive to health, right? So he stays up all night long partying and, and drinking and gambling and all these things, and he is not doing well. And he comes to find out that he has tuberculosis, and so his, he looks pale like the entire movie. He just doesn't look healthy at all. And his doctor comes to his bedside in the movie and says, hey, doc, if you keep living this way, you are just not going to make it. You're not going to survive. You need to stop the, the, the late nights and the drinking and the smoking. He kind of gets upset. He, the doctor leaves. And Doc Holliday's girlfriend comes right over and gives him another cigarette. And he starts smoking immediately. I mean, this guy can barely even breathe, Right? It's the same sort of picture of what uh, this is talking about here, what Jesus is really getting at, right? Right away, you see why the modern idea of freedom is just not complex enough. It's, it's way too simplistic. It can't just be the desire to do what you want because your desires conflict. They do all the time. Real freedom is the ability to choose the liberating desires over the confining desires, Real freedom comes when you make a strategic move to leave some freedoms behind in order to have better freedom. 
And so in this case, to not eat the food is to live longer and experience more life and freedom. So real freedom comes not from the absence of restraints, but from actually choosing the right kind of restraints. And we've seen this. I mean, there's people tonight up here that were playing music, and there's probably many of you tonight that are like, I could never play the guitar, or I could never play the drums, or whatever. Well, the reason why people can play instruments is because they've learned to restrain themselves in other areas in order to have that sort of freedom. I mean, I, uh, one of my friends in college, is we called him Tex, uh, but he uh, was named Michael Teixeira, and um, he by far is the best guitar player I have ever seen in my entire life. He's amazing. He can just play anything. I, and, and so what he would do is he would sit in his room and he would listen to the radio when people listened to the radio back then, right? And he would, a song would come on, he never even heard it before in his life, and about halfway through the song, he already could play it perfectly. Like he just had an ear for it. But the reason he could do this and the reason why he's now like, traveling the world and playing with all these crazy musicians and people is because he learned to restrain himself. We would come by his dorm so often, be like, hey, Tex, you want to go out with us? We're going to go do X, Y, and Z. And he'd always be like, no, man, I'm going to stay in and I'm going to play. I'm going to practice. He learned to say no to things in order to have a different kind of freedom. And now the kind of freedom he has to play whatever song he wants and make it sound like the song that he's dreaming of, he has that ability and that freedom because he learned how to choose the right kind of restraints. You see, freedom is freedom to do the right thing. Freedom isn't just the ability to do anything. Freedom is freedom to do the right thing, not just do anything. It's to accept the right constraints, not just any constraints. Well, Well, then how do you know what are liberating constraints? Well, the answer is in the next couple of verses. We see next the enemy of freedom in verse 33. So these followers, they they answered Jesus. It says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus tells these people who, again, keep in mind, they, they believe in him, right? They're, they're, not, they're, they're not unbelievers, so to speak. They're, verse 31 showed us that. And he says that whoever practices sin is a slave to it. And this isn't talking about practice in the way that you'd practice for the big game or something, right? This isn't like rehearsal sort of idea. This word practice is just getting at the idea of you're engaging in in sin, right? You're not rehearsing it. You're actually doing it. And he says, whoever is practicing sin is a slave to sin. So sin, Jesus is telling them, is a master. Sin is a, a tyrant. It's a dictator. It doesn't have to be a pharaoh or another king or a president somebody like that in the world. He says it's sin. See, Jesus is saying, not only does the practice of sin prove that one is a slave to sin, but the practice of sin actively enslaves. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. Jesus is saying, not only does the practice of sin prove that one is a slave to sin, that a person is a slave to sin, but the practice of sin actively enslaves you. Do you see that? 
See, our culture says that the main enemies of our freedom are somewhere out there, right? They're just detached from me. They're the main sort of enemies or oppressors of my freedom is, is out there. There are oppressive forces. They're keeping me from ultimately being free. And Jesus, if he were here tonight in the flesh, he'd probably say, of course, there are oppressive forces in the world towards a lot of our freedoms, and many of those are very bad, okay? But the true enemy of freedom is not somewhere out there. It's, it's in here. The true enemy of freedom is in here. And so the implication of what Jesus said to these people, and he's, he's doing it by way of inference, is that these people are slaves. And they just told him, like, no, we're not. And he goes, yeah, you are. And so what is their reaction? Like many of us, when we get defensive, they're basically like, not us. Are you kidding me? They try to give him like a history lesson or whatever. Right? That, that, that's their response. But Jesus is implying this very thing, though. He's implying that everyone is enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to sin unless they have his teaching abiding in him. That's what Jesus is saying here, okay? So in Jesus' view here, okay, in Jesus' view here, just to make the point, even Caesar, who is like lord over this land that they're living in as he's saying this, and every king and every pharaoh and every president or every dictator even in our modern world, the dictator in North Korea or, or other horrible dictators in our world, every single person, no matter how much power they have, is a slave, that's what he's saying. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That sin is the cause of our slavery. And you've probably experienced that in many ways. Jesus doesn't go into it here in depth. You really have to go to other parts of the Bible to see how sin brings slavery. And just for the sake of time, uh, I'm just gonna give you one example that I think is most maybe prominent for this, this passage. And that's this. The Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches that sin is our impulse to disobey our creator. Sin is our impulse, the scriptures teach us. Sin is our impulse to disobey our creator, our creator. So th think about it. There is something deep in our hearts that says, no one is gonna tell me how to live. There's something deep within our hearts that says, no one is gonna tell me how to live. I mean, I remember what it was like to be a teenager my mom would always say, clean your room. And it, internally, I'd be like, no one's going to tell me how to live. This is my room. You know, failing to believe or realize that I didn't pay for this room or this house. And they could probably kick me out if they wanted to or something, right? But I would just feel that way. I'm like, well, no, it's my room. I'll clean it if I want to. And I remember one day my mom found an Arby's melt under my bed that had been there for months, okay? And uh, I was like, I should have obeyed my mom, you know? Like, I should have listened to her, right? And kind of gross enough, like, it looked fine. Like, it looked intact. So I don't know what that says about Arby's food, but um, this is just my story. I'm just telling it like it is, right? I wish I would have obeyed her, though, right? But I internally was like, no one's going to tell me how to live. There's something deep in our heart that doesn't want to be ruled. I mean, am I really the only one in this room that would agree with that? We, we don't want to obey, right? We, we, we want to rebel. I said creator for a reason creator for a reason. I say this because if this is true, if God really is your creator, which the Bible teaches is very true, then his law is not busy work for us. It, it's more like an owner's manual for how we should live. Do you, do you realize this? 
It's kind of like your car. If you ever have a car, you open up the glove box, there's an owner's manual in there, and it'll tell you different things like change the timing belt at X amount of miles, you know, or, or get your fluids swapped out, you know, at this time, or rotate your tires, or change your oil, or whatever. And you could have been like I was earlier on in life where my approach to having a car was, hey, if it's still running, I'm just not going to touch it. You know, and no joke, I, my car stopped working one day. I took it in and I was like, do I need a new transmission or whatever? And they're like, no, you'd need to change your oil every three to 5,000 miles. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, literally, you, if the owner's manual tells you to do those kinds of things, I, it's, it, I'm not the designer of the vehicle. I didn't engineer this thing. And so in a real sense, uh, I'm going to ruin my investment if I don't take care of it in the way that it's telling me I need to take care of it. You need to change the oil, right? So if God says to you, don't lie, like love the truth, like be a truth teller, I'm a God of truth. Or if he says to you, be faithful to your spouse, right? don't lust after other men or other women, right? Don't, don't view them as objects, but view them as made in the image of God. If God comes to us and says, forgive people every single time, people who wound you, forgive them. If God is instructing us how to live in these ways, that's not busy work. That's not busy work. That's, that's the owner's manual. Right? God says, I, I built you. I designed you. I made you. You are going against your own needs, your own nature, really, like the man who eats what he shouldn't. Or, or Doc Holliday smoking when he has tuberculosis. Just like, just like breaking uh, the car owner's manual, you're, you're going against yourself. You're going against God. And you're going as how he's created you in the world, and so you are going to be a slave because you're buying into something that's false freedom. See, sin is that impulse in your heart that doesn't want to obey your creator. That's what it is. Uh, I cleaned Tucker's uh, fish tank yesterday, and uh, it's just, and it's so amazing, right? It's a two and a half gallon little starter tank, all right? Got it for him a year ago. Uh, many of you know he kept, you know, not whining, he kept asking for a dog, and I was like, well, if you can feed a fish once a day, maybe we could start there, okay? So we, we got him uh, this fish, and he's actually had like many fish, They've, many of them have died, okay? But we have this blue fish, who he named Blue, go figure, okay? Blue's been the longest standing uh, seventh member of our family, okay? He, um, he's been around for a little while now. And uh, so um, my wife consistently will say, uh, oh, I feel so bad for him. Like he's just swimming around this boring little two and a half gallon tank. Like what a depressing life, you know? Like he's made for the ocean or whatever. I don't even know if he could have salt water. I think he's fresh water, but like he's made for the river or something, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it is kind of sad. So just getting the backstory here, let's just imagine I brought Blue tonight and he's in his amazing little aquarium on this stage, okay? Uh, imagine I had him up here and I, I took the net and I grabbed him out of the water and I just threw him on the carpet. Not, you know, he's fine. He's, I didn't hurt him or something. I didn't wound him or anything, right? But, but, but think about what's gonna happen to Blue. I could look at Blue and I could say, man, you are free. You are no longer in this confined two and a half gallon tank. Like you have the world at your disposal, Blue. Go, right? Go explore, be free, right? What's he gonna be doing? 
He's going to be flopping around. You've all seen it. He's going to be gasping for air. He's probably going to be losing, you know, his, his full capacities, you know, to some degree. Like, he's going to do what fish do. He's not going to be fully alive in the way that he should be. But you would could say, well, you're free, right? You don't, you don't have the restraint of the tank any longer, do you? But if I picked him up and I threw him back into the water, he's going to come too, isn't he? Not? Hopefully, if I didn't wait too long, right? He's going to come too. He's going to start being fully alive again. He's going to be thriving in the way that he needs. Why? Because he's in the water. He's in the water as he's designed to be. So now all of his capacities are going to come back online because he was designed to be in water. That's the environment he was made for. So in a way, then, what is the water that the human soul needs? Well, what's the environment that, that it was made for, that, that we were made for? Well, I think we discover the answer next in the parable that Jesus gives. It's in, it's in this promise of freedom. And look in verse 35. Jesus continues on. He goes, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, here's your promise. You will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So in the context of what's happening here, the, the application of Jesus is very clear. See, the Jews think of themselves as sons of Abraham. They view themselves as, as family in God's family, right? But in reality, Jesus is saying, no, you are slaves. You're slaves to sin. And see, as sons of Abraham, the Jews, they felt very, you know, spiritually confident. They felt very self-assured and of themselves that they were right with God, you know? And so to be told by someone like Jesus especially that they are slaves, that's, what's that going to do is this. It's going to strike them at the root of their assurance in life. And of course they're going to react the way that they are acting. Why? Because think about it. A slave has no permanent place in a family. A slave has no permanent place in the family. So how do we become free? Well, the answer is in this short little parable that Jesus tells. And I'll just be real with you. This, this parable, this verse would make a lot more sense to you if you were a really good citizen over the last six years and watched faithfully uh, the great TV show Downton Abbey. Okay? If, you were, if you were in on that, which me and my wife faithfully watched this show every Sunday night when it was on. It was always sad when it was over. I missed the show, okay? It was a great show. But if you don't know anything about Downton Abbey, all right, um, is it up? Yes. Look at that. Man, who prepared that HD pick right there, right? Um, so in this show, right, it's set in early 1900s in the UK, and it's kind of during a time in life where there were lords, you know, of manners and, and different things, okay? And so you have this guy named Lord Grantham. Uh, he's, he's the most prominent person here in the front of the picture, and he is lord of this estate. And so within the estate, you know, ran uh, everything. You know, so you had children who lived there of Lord Grantham. You'd have other family members who lived here. And then in the, in the basement, you would have servants. And these servants would keep up the grounds. They would clean things. They would take care of the other people, the family. They would, um, you know, they would, they would clean. They would drive people in different places. They, they ran everything, right? And so the Lord of Downton Abbey, Lord Grantham, he has children, he has family, he has servants. But in the end, right, if, if, if you're a servant and you don't do your job or you violate the rules of the house, you're out of there. I mean, you're out. 
You're not permanent. Why? Because your relationship with Lord Grantham is based on performance. It's not based on a familial relationship. There's no deeper relationship keeping you within that, that living situation. But your relationship with Lord Grantham, if you are a son or if you're a daughter, it's permanent. So if, if a servant does something wrong, they're fired. If a son or a daughter does something wrong, what happens? It actually gets Lord Grantham just more involved and engaged in that child's life. That's what happens. If some child is rebelling or doing anything, it, it actually concerns Lord Grantham more. Like he, he'll, he'll be more engaged. Why? Because the relationship is built on unconditional love. He, he's more concerned about discipline or, or, or engagement with this person. And so Jesus is sharing this sort of idea here. He's sharing that the genuine son in this context, just you have to know this, in his parable, it's not a Christian. It's not a Christian. But it's Jesus Christ himself. He is putting himself in this parable. And we know this because if you read the entire Gospel of John, John's favorite title of Jesus is Son of God. He always calls him the Son of God. And so anybody who follows Jesus, he calls them children of God. So if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, if you worship Jesus the Son of God, you are a child of God. So we know that the person in this, the genuine son in this context is Jesus himself. And so the picture here is that a son can only forever be a son. But a slave can be sold, can be given away. So if the son has set you free, referring to the Son of God, you will be free indeed. See, in Downton Abbey, there's a person way in the back you could barely see. Uh, his name is Tom Branson, okay? And he was a valet, all right? He was a man who just drove the family around. He was a servant, lived downstairs. He just drove people around. And I don't want to blow this for you, but in the first season, okay, so I'm not giving too much away, he falls in love with and marries Lord Grantham's daughter, so all of a sudden, Tom, who was once a servant of the house, is no longer a servant, but he is now a son. He is brought into the family, and if you Google pictures of seasons after this, he kept coming forward more and more in the line of the picture. It's really interesting. So this man, all of a sudden, he goes from a servant, not really doing much, but now he is a son. And so no longer does he serve everybody else. He is one who is being served. He no longer eats downstairs with all the other servants. He eats upstairs with the family. He no longer, you know, has to get himself ready. He, someone else gets him ready. No longer does he drive people elsewhere. He is driven to different places. Right? He is he's moved up to family status. He is eating upstairs with the family. He enjoys all the benefits of being family. His relationship becomes more secure in that home. What I'm trying to say is Jesus isn't talking in this story about firing you. He's not even talking about hiring you. This, is, this language, this image that Jesus is getting at, where you find true freedom, is found in the image and the language of adoption. Well, that's what Jesus is getting at here. You see, Jesus, think about this. In these previous verses, he is warning us about something. He's warning us about something. And that's this, that we should not think that the way for us to become free is to simply pick up our Bibles, okay? And say, okay, here's the owner's manual, all right? I just have to abide by this. I have to do this. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. And then my life will go better for me. And then I'll be really free if I could just obey everything that's in here. Because if you do that to find freedom, I'm telling you, you won't really be free. 
you still won't be free. Because if, if you're obeying simply to get something, it's, it's not like you're doing it because you want to. You're doing things because you have to. And this is what will happen in your life. You won't really be free. Because as long as your life is going the way that you want it to go, you think it's working. But if all of a sudden things don't go the way that you want them to go, you'll begin to be kind of like a grumpy person. And, and what you're really experiencing in that moment is that you've come to believe that the way you live means that God now owes you something. If I do this, then God has to treat me in this way or my life has to go this way. And so if I'm living and obeying these things in a certain regard and things aren't going the way that I think they should be going, I get grumpy, I get upset at God, and I think he's holding out on me. But, but when God becomes a father to you, you, you have this free, loving relationship with God. And you begin to want to, not, not just feel like you ought to, obey him. That you would begin to want to obey him. It, how? Well, it, it's by staring at the son. It's by staring at Jesus, the son, who, who sets you free. Let's think about it. what is the first thing that we know about Jesus? Well, if you, if you were just considering the book of John, how does John start his gospel referring to Jesus? He shows us that Jesus was truly free. Jesus was truly free. John starts his gospel by telling us that Jesus has always been free, that Jesus is divine, that he is the son of God, that he wasn't just a man, that he has no restraints and he has ultimate freedom. But what did he do? He gave up his freedom. He, he, he willingly let people nail him to a cross. He was barricaded, so to speak, in a tomb. He literally couldn't move, okay? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he give up his freedom? So, so that we could be free. He gave up his freedom so that you could be free. That, that's how this promise works. Your relationship has changed. You no longer are trying to earn standing in the house. You're like Tom, right? You have secure standing. So, so now you can live out of that love and that acceptance. You can live into your design because you hear and see truth. You don't have to live into lies of empty promises that sin as the slave owner promises you. You don't have to believe in those things. But there, there is a real battle. And maybe you're all thinking it right now. And that is this battle for, for freedom we see in verse 37 and 38. Because Jesus points out to these people in verses 37 through 38 that they can keep buying into their hero, Abraham. But if that happens, then Jesus, the son's voice, will not have any place in them. And we've already learned that not hearing Jesus' voice of freedom will not produce more freedom, but only, only fake freedom. It only brings bondage. What does it say in verse 37? He says... I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word finds no place in you. The same thing he just told them to abide in. He says, it finds no place in you. I, I speak of what I have seen with my father, it's like a heavenly voice. 
And, and you do what you have heard from your father. It's like an earthly voice. Jesus says, you're trying to pull rank by claiming Abraham as your father, but I'm, I'm talking to you not with Abraham as my father, but with God, the creator and maker as my father. See, there, there are two voices that are being presented here in these two verses, right? There's an earthly voice and there's the voice of God. And, and we're being told here that listening to one voice means that the voice of Jesus finds no place in you. If you listen to that voice, one voice brings the illusion of freedom. One brings actual freedom. And so, and so here's where the uh, rubber meets the road. So many of us, hear the promise of freedom in verses 34 through 36, and we say, yes, I believe that. I want Jesus to free me, right? But what the heck, I do not feel free. I, I believe this, but I don't, I don't feel free. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, I think. I mean, do you ever do something or think something or act in a certain way and you immediately get frustrated or angry at yourself? Because you know right away you're like, I said I wasn't going to do that ever again. And I actually just said that like five minutes ago. That I wasn't ever going to do that again. Maybe it was like, uh, you know, I, I said I would never yell at somebody like that again. Or I would never treat somebody like that again. Or I, I would never overeat like that. Or I would never starve myself like that. Or I would never overindulge in, in, in that thing. Or I would never give in to X, Y, and Z again. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the frustration is real, isn't it? It's real. I think much of our reactions in life are, are due to the fact that we just don't feel like the things that we want to say and think and do are really possible for us to even do long term. I mean, we might find some progress for a moment, but then all of a sudden we're like, man, I don't feel like I've changed at all. I just keep failing left and right. And that's a huge bummer of a problem, is it not? A problem so big that it can become for many of us, maybe even if you're like me, it can become the number one reason at times why you struggle with doubting God or, or doubting whether or not you're even a believer. When you, when you see your c constant struggles in, in certain areas. You, you hear a promise and you're like, I don't experience that sort of freedom, so I must not be a Christian. Right, you begin to doubt, right? Well, here's just an illustration that I found really helpful in what I think is happening here. And it, it, it comes out of this great book. Uh, a man named Jerry Bridges wrote it. He's no longer with us. But he, he tells this story. Um, he says, during the long years of the Cold War, between the United States and the Soviet Union. Remember that? So there was a Russian Air Force pilot who flew his fighter plane from uh, a base in Russia to an American Air Force base in Japan. And when he got there, he asked for asylum. Okay? He was flown to the United States where he was duly debriefed. He was given a brand new identity and he set up this bona fide resident. He was set up as a bona fide resident of the United States. Okay. And so in due time, this guy, he became an American citizen, right? He just left being a fighter pilot. was like, I, wanna, I want asylum. I want to become an American citizen. And he did, right? The, the, the Russian pilot's experience, Bridges says, illustrates to some degree what happened to us when we were freed from sin. 
when we died to sin and we were made alive to God. Because what happened? This guy changed kingdoms. He did. He literally changed kingdoms. He was given a new identity. He was given a new status. He was no longer a Russian. He was now an American. He was no longer under the rule of what was this very oppressive and totalitarian government. He now was free in his life to experience all the advantages and resources of living in a free and prosperous country. But, but this is where the, the battle sets in, right? Because this former Russian pilot, however, was still, in many ways, he was still the same person. He had the same personality, he had the same habits, the same cultural patterns as he did before he he flew out of Russia, but he did have a new identity and a new status. And as a result of his new identity and status as a citizen in a free country, he now had the opportunity to grow as a free person, to discard the mindset of someone living under bondage and to put off the habit patterns of a person living under the heel of a communist regime. In in effect, this Russian pilot was freed. He died to his old identity as a Russian citizen. And he was made alive, right? He was made alive into a new identity as an American citizen. And so when we, as believers, when we are freed from sin, we, we die to this status wherein we were under bondage to this tyrannical reign of sin. And at the same time, You and I, we are granted citizenship in the kingdom of God and through our union with Jesus Christ, through this abiding that Jesus is talking about, we are furnished all the resources that we need to become, in fact, what we have become in status. We are on the way to becoming what we truly are. There's two quotes on the screen I'm I'm gonna work through just real quick. One is by John Murray. Both these guys are no longer with us, but they say it so well. John Murray said this about this. He says, there must be a constant and increasing appreciation that though sin still remains, it does not have the mastery. There there is a total difference between surviving sin and reigning sin. The Christian who's in conflict with sin and the non-Christian who's completely just complacent to sin. It is one thing for sin to live in us. It is another for us to live in sin. And I'm telling you, the latter is what that, what's happening, that frustration. There was a Puritan named Samuel Bolton who said this. He says, Christ has far freed us from sin. It shall not have dominion. There may be turbulence, but not the prevalence of sin. Sin may get into the, heart, the, the, sorry, into the throne of the heart and play the tyrant in this or that particular act of sin, but it shall never more be as a king there. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? Do you see the battle that's taking place? Not to put us down tonight, but if we could just call ourselves these little fishies, right? We're the little fishies. We're little blues, okay? Little blues. Abide in the water of Jesus. In your new status. It's, It's a battle, to, to let the words of Jesus land in your heart every moment of the day. Because there are other voices out there. Abide in the truth. That's why we must daily preach this truth to ourselves. Re- remember the truth. Jesus says in verse 32 that this truth will set you free. So that in verse 36 that if the Son whom is Jesus sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
So let me tell you, if you find yourself in bondage and you're frustrated that you will never change or you find yourself believing that you aren't truly free, if you find yourself in that spot, I'm telling you, you're believing a lie. It's a a flat out lie. And it's a lie that never comes to you from the mouth of God. So, so when you hear that lie, you call it out as a Christian, and you, you, you tell yourself, that is not from God. That is not from God. It's not. It's not the truth. That's not who I am. The truth sets me free. It doesn't further tighten the lock on the door of the prison that I sense that I'm in, but the truth is more than a word. It is a person, and you can know that Jesus has set you free if you believe that Jesus chose the bondage and the prison of sin on the cross so that you could experience freedom from those chains of bondage. Don't don't hear the voice of Jesus tell you don't, don't hear the voice of Jesus tell you that the chains are off and the prison door is open and then leave the prison cell for a moment only to return just a little bit later and sit down as if the chains weren't really undone and as if the door really wasn't open. The chains are off forever. The door is forever open because, because Jesus walked into the prison and he said, I will go into that cell so, th- so that you could come out. I will go into that cell so that you could come out. I will have the chains bound around my ankles and wrists so that you could have the chains fall off. I'm telling you, hear the voice of truth, the voice of the Son, the voice of Jesus. Let his word find its place in your heart tonight. Abide in his word of truth. Don't listen to the other voices. They aren't aren't the voice of Jesus. You are free. You are free to live as God created and designed you to live. To, to live justly and righteously and holy and in love and in freedom from sin. It's a promise. It's a promise from the very lips of God. God, I pray that we really would experience the freedom that you, you proclaim to us as a promise tonight. I know most days we probably don't feel that free in different areas, and I'm sure there are many people in this room, God, that um, are, are experiencing that right now. And, uh, and Lord, I, I do just pray that you would show them uh, what you've done in their life and how you've, you've transformed them and, and you've adopted them into your family and um, that they really do have a new identity. God, I pray that these things that we talk about, that they really sink in, that the penny would drop. It would move from the head to the heart a little bit better tonight. And Lord, I do, I just pray for people here that don't know you, and I pray you'd move in their heart, Lord, that they might believe and find true freedom tonight. Lord, we pray you'd do that. You'd grant us this freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.